It's almost Easter, the time of year we specifically celebrate Christ's resurrection from the dead. You know, studies show again and again that during the Easter season, more people are open to spiritual truth than any other time of the year. In fact, Easter Sunday is one of the two most likely Sundays of the year that unchurched persons consider visiting. They're willing to let down their guard and hear the name and good news of Jesus. So what do we do with this information? An idea. What if we slowed down just a little bit and allowed ourselves to be more receptive this year? More receptive to the heart needs of the people around us, in our church, our community, our neighborhoods, and in our homes. And in this receptivity, let's be proactive. Proactive to listen, to love, and to share Jesus. Because heart doors are open right now. For some, just a crack big enough for us to slip a small note of hope through. For others, the door is wide open. One last point. We want to encourage you to invite. Invite your friends. Invite your family. Invite your neighbors. Invite those who have no connection with the church and with Jesus. Invite them to visit your church home when they are most willing to let down their guard and listen to the good news of what God has done for them. And maybe, just maybe, this is the season and year when they'll allow Jesus to walk right in. Just invite. They are welcome here in our church home. So that's what we want you to do, and that's why I changed the message this weekend. Um, we're going to still talk about being transformed, but I want to talk about becoming God's transforming agents. And to set it up, I want you to take a look at a video clip from the movie Simon Birch, which is a movie about uh, a boy who was born with severe dwarfism, and his father rejects him because of that. But Simon believes that God put him on earth for a purpose, and he seeks to accomplish that purpose, and he does by befriending another little boy by the name of Joe Wentworth. Joe Wentworth is born but doesn't know who his daddy is and nobody will tell him and he's ostracized and made fun of by the other kids. So Simon befriends him and through a series of uh, strange events really fulfills his purpose in life by by helping uh, Joe in a profound way. Simon ends up dying an untimely death at the age of 12. And the clip you're going to see is Joe Wentworth, played by Jim Carrey, as an adult coming back to that grave marker where his childhood friend is buried. And I want you to listen carefully to what he says. Watch this. I am doomed to remember a boy with a wrecked voice. Not because of his voice or because he was the smallest person I ever knew or even because he was the instrument of my mother's death, but because he is the reason I believe in God. What faith I have, I owe to Simon Birch, the boy I grew up with in Gravestown, Maine. It is Simon that made me a believer. Can I ask you a question? Who is going to stand at your gravestone someday, or my gravestone someday, and just simply say that you are the reason why I believe in God. You are the reason why I have faith. I cannot think of a greater tribute that a person could ever pay to your life or my life than to say that 
we are the reason why they believe in God. Or we are the reason why they are growing in their faith belief in God. I can't think of a greater purpose to live out in life than to live a life that points people to God, that points people to Jesus Christ. And we have such a great opportunity next weekend to be God's signs pointing to his son, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to ask you before you leave this morning to consider taking one of those beautiful lilies out there and using it as a tool, a non-threatening, simple, loving, gracious tool to hand to someone as an invitation to possibly come and join us for one of our weekend services. In fact, last weekend, they were telling me that there are some folks who were going out and picking up lilies and telling the people who they were giving the cards to that last year somebody had brought them a lily and that's why they're in this church today. Isn't that cool? So they're like passing on the legacy. And so I want all of us to seriously consider that. But here's the question. Who should you give it to? And to answer that question, I want you to write a word on your outline. It's a Greek word. It's the word oikos. We've talked about it before in years past. And the word oikos means household. But it's different than how you and I think of household. When we think of a household, we think of our immediate family. But in the Bible, household meant more, means more than just your immediate family. It means anyone you have regular contact with. So in that sense, your household can be pretty big, can't it? One of the passages that describes a household is found in, math, in uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 15. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, not the guy who made the jeans, but Matthew is the, is the, is the Greek name. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's oikos, now look who's at his oikos, his household. Many tax collectors and who? Sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? I just want to show you that because there's an example of an oikos. Matthew had a very large oikos. He had many, many, many people who he knew from his business. You and I should also have a fairly significant oikos if we're talking about the people we have regular contact with. It may even be some people you don't know their name, but you recognize them and they recognize you because you see each other all the time. So who is part of your oikos? Well, it could be the cashier that you regularly see at Jewel or Dominic's or wherever you shop. It might be the person who rides a train with you. It might be the person in the next cubicle uh, near you. It might be someone you see on the plane. It might be someone at school. It might be someone on the bus. It might be somebody at a desk in a hallway. It might be a neighbor. It might be a friend, your family member. It's, it's pretty unlimited. And here's what I'd like you to do. Take lines and draw the lines off your oikos like this. And what I want you to do at the end of those lines is I want you to put the names of those individuals that you know that you have regular contact with that you could give a lily to, that you could begin to pray for. And while you're thinking about that, you say, well, I, I, I can't think of the person's name, but I can see their face. Then, then draw a picture of their face. No, I'm just kidding. All right, just put where you see them, all right? And while you're doing that for just a minute, we have our spy cams looking down and make sure you're doing it. Just kidding. Why are you doing that? Though, let me tell you a story about a little boy or a, a mom and two little boys last weekend out here. 
the mom uh, was getting ready to get the lilies, and she gave those cards that are in your worship folder to her boys. And she said, now, boys, I want you to think of somebody that you would like to give a lily to, each one of you. And so the little boys thought, and, uh, and then they wrote down the, the names, their names, then they wrote down the names of who they would like to give it to. And the mom said, okay, now we're going to take a lily, we're going to pray, and then we're going to give it to them and hope that they'll come to church. And I thought, what a mom, huh? What a mom. She was already teaching them that they have an oikos as well. So think about it in terms of your, your kids, your young people. What, who's part of your oikos that you could give something like that to? And, and it would be a blessing and make a difference in their life. But I know what some of you are thinking right now. Some of you are thinking, I can take a lily. I can think of people. But, but I'm afraid to give it to them because what if they ask me a question about God? That would be a shame, wouldn't it? But I know, I know what I know what you mean. I understand where you're going with that whole deal, all right? What you're in essence saying to me is, what if I give a lily to them and they want to talk about God right there? Or what if they come to ESCN next weekend and 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 they they walk through the door or or they have more questions about God and they ask me and, and I don't know how to answer and and, and I blow the whole thing or I, I tell them something wrong or I, or I make a mistake. Listen, I'm really sorry for how we as Bible teachers have convinced you that you have to have a seminary degree in order to share the faith with someone. You don't. In fact, you're better off if you don't. Sharing your faith doesn't have to be something frightening. It doesn't have to be something intimidating. It should be as natural as breathing. It should be as natural as breathing. It should just come so easily for us. The problem is we have made it so complex. So what I want to do this morning is I want to teach you, I want to show you how to naturally be prepared to share if somebody does ask you, and they may not, but if somebody does ask you later on about God or about the gospel, I want to to show you how to respond to them in a very easy and natural way. And by the way, most people come to faith through an oikos, through a relationship. For example, let me give you some statistics. Only about 1% to 2% of people come to faith via a crisis. Maybe some of you fit in there. 5 to 6% by a pastor. And about 1% to 2% just through visiting a church. They estimate that 4 to 5% come to faith through Sunday school. And that about 0.05% by a crusade, the least effective way. But look at this. 75 to 90% come by the influence of their oikos. How many of you have... How many of you come... Let me try it again. How many of you came to faith by the influence of somebody in your oikos? Let me see your hands. Look at that. The statistics have been proven. So we have such an opportunity. And I don't want you to be intimidated in case somebody asks you about God. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your marker or your pen or your pencil. And we're going to draw a courtroom scene. Now I had thought about asking how many of you have ever been to court before. But I decided that wouldn't be a good idea. All right. And every courtroom has a judge, so we're going to make a little, uh, you know, kind of booth here, and we're going to put the judge in there, and we're going to put J.G. for judge. And in our courtroom, God is the judge. So just write, just write the name God there, all right? And every courtroom also has a jury, all right? So over here, uh, we'll draw the jury box, okay? I know you can draw better than me, so just have at it, all right? And then the jury members in the box... And the jury is your oikos. It's your household. It's the people you have regular contact with 
who watch and see your life and see my life. Okay? And then we just write jury in here. Then we have a uh, defense attorney. And we have a defendant. And the, uh, we'll put DA for defense attorney and D for defendant. And the defense attorney is the Holy Spirit. And the defendant is Jesus. Okay? Then we have to have a prosecutor. Because in every courtroom you've got the prosecutor. So we'll make the prosecutor's desk over here. Okay? And then the prosecutor is Satan. The Bible tells us. Got to give him a nasty face. Right? The Bible tells us that, that Satan is the accuser. He's always accusing us, right? And, and sorry, they don't deserve to be saved. They don't deserve grace. Now, there's one person missing here, and that's you. Where do you go? Well, you are going to sit in what's called the witness box. We'll put a W, and we're going to put you here, and you are a cheerful witness, all right? Now, what is the witness's responsibility? What is the witness supposed to do? The witness is here to influence the jury about their knowledge or relationship to the defendant, in this case, Jesus. So you and I exist to influence our oikos about our knowledge and our experience with Jesus. What does the witness do? To answer that question, I want to take you to kind of a courtroom scene found in the Bible. So turn open to John chapter 9. Would you please? John chapter 9, your New Testaments. <clears throat> this is one of my favorite stories. We've talked about it here before. And uh, I don't know, you know if there's like a huge, massive DVD library in heaven or not. But this is one of the first ones that I hope to get via Netflix. It's right here, all right? Uh, in heaven. And I hope, you know, maybe it's on Blu-ray or who knows what modern technology they have in heaven. But I want to watch this because I think it is so cool, so powerful. It's a great picture. It's filled with tension. It's filled with humor. It's filled with joy. It's filled with sarcasm. I mean, it is quite the drama, and it actually happened. John chapter 9, verse 1. Here's how it starts. Talking about Jesus, it said, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. What was he from birth? Blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. So their mindset already is that if something bad happens in your life, it must be because you've done something bad, that you are sinful. But listen to what Jesus says. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, I like that passage because do you remember a couple weekends ago I showed you a video clip of Nick, the guy in Australia has no limbs. Remember that? How remember that? Remember he said that he didn't believe that he was just born that way for no reason at all. He says, he says I believe that God has a purpose for my life. Kind of like the movie Simon Birch, I believe God has a purpose for my dwarfism. I don't know who you are or what you're going through right now, but let me say to you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, believe it or not, God has a purpose for why you are where you are going through what you're going through right now. You just got to let him work out his purpose in your life. And that's what Jesus is going to do with the blind man. 
He goes on in the passage and says, Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva. I liked that passage, especially when I was a kid, because I thought spitting was cool. My mom didn't like it. And put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sense. The man went and washed and came home seeing. Now, here's Jesus. He's before the blind man. He says that God has a purpose in this, and he spits in his hand, and then he takes some dirt, and he makes some mud, and he smears it over the guy's eyes. It's kind of a cool picture here. The Bible says that God created man out of the what of the earth? Out of the dust or the dirt. So it's almost as spit was seen, or saliva was seen as a healing uh, 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 fluid back in ancient times. So Jesus mixed the healing saliva and the mud together as though to say, I'm the creator, and I'm going to fix my creation. Sends a man to pull a siloam, washes his eyes, opens them, and for the very first time he can what? How many of you think he was excited about that? Good. All right. You would be too if you had never seen before, and now you can suddenly see. Now, watch what happens. We're going to pick up the story here in, um, in verse 8. It says, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him, now his neighbors would be his what? You are the most brilliant people I have ever met, all right? His oikos. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Now, why are they asking that question? They'd seen him before. Because they, they are having a hard time believing that a blind man can all of a sudden be able to see. Can this really be the same guy? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no. He only looks like him. It's impossible. You can't be blind and then see. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Well, not probably quite like that. But well, he's saying, I am the man. I used to, hey, 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 wait a minute. I, that's me. I can tell you I used to beg on such such a corner, you know. And people had to help me around. No, I am. I am the man. And then he moves on in the passage and says, how then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, okay, now he gets in his witness box, okay? His oikos is asking, how is it you can see? So he's going to say something about Jesus. It says, he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and went, and then I could see. Nothing complicated is there. I was blind, he made some mud, he spit, he put on my eyes, told me to go to the pool, I washed it, and I can see. That is pretty simple. Where is this man? They asked him, where is this man? I don't know, he said. Why do you think some of them in the oikos are wondering where the man, the defendant Jesus is? Because if he could make their blind friends see, imagine what he might be able to do for them, right? I mean, that's how you sell a product sometimes, right? When you're a living referral, when you walk around and say, I bought this widget, I bought that gadget, and it's changed my life. Everybody else wants to buy that widget and gadget too, right? Because they see it demonstrated. People see the blind man sees. They're going, man, if he could do that for you, I wonder what he could do for my crippled brother. I wonder what he could do for my arthritis. I wonder what he could do, and you fill in the blank. Now, Let's continue the story, but I want to read it, the rest of it to you out of the New Living Translation. You can still follow along with yours. It says in verse 13, it says, Then they took the man who had been blind to see the Pharisees. Da, 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 da. Right? These are the grumpy 
preachers, the seminarians of the day, all right, the fundies of the day. Verse 14, because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed them. Dun, 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 dun. What's that all about? You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath according to their rules. Verse 15, the Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. So here he is in the witness box, and he's been telling everybody all day long, I couldn't see, they put mud on my eyes, I went and washed, and, and now he says, now I can see. Verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Let me hear you go, da 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 You sound happy while you're doing that, all right? Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. So now they're like really divided about this because some are going, well, how do you explain a guy who is blind and now all of a sudden this, this guy can see? Verse 17. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, What's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. Because he's like thinking, you know, I know my Old Testament. I'm Jewish. I understand that. And the prophets did amazing things. So, you know, I'm in the witness box. And well, he must be a prophet to be able to do something like that. Move on to the passage, verse 18. The Jewish leader still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see So they called in his parents. I'll give you one more opportunity. So they called in his parents. Verse 19, they asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? So there he is in the witness box again. All right. And here's what happened. Or his parents are in the witness box. His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind. But we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. So here are his parents saying, look, that's our kid. We recognize him. And we know he was born blind. We remember that. We had to take care of him. We wondered why God allowed this to happen. Now we see. Boy, that's for sure. And if you want to know why, you asked him. Now, why did they say you asked him? Verse 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said he is old enough. Ask him. So. For the second time, which really seems like the third or fourth to me, they called in the man, and he gets in the witness box, right? So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Now, I love verse 25. Listen to what the guy says. He's in the witness box. He says, I don't know whether he's a sinner. The man replied, but I know this. I was blind, and now what? Now I see. Now that you love the guy, he's in the witness box. He says, I'm not going to argue theology with you, okay? I'm just not going to argue about whether Jesus is God or not. I'm here to tell you that he changed my life. I was blind, and now I see. Isn't that beautiful? 
It's like, I don't want to argue. I don't want to convince you. I'm not here to debate theology with you. I'm just simply saying, I used to be like this. I encountered him, and now I'm like that. Now watch verse uh, 28. It says, um, no, let me go back to verse 27. Actually, let me go back to verse 26. (laughs) I got really excited, all right? He says, they say, but what did he do? They ask, how did he heal you? Verse 27, look, the man exclaimed. I think he's getting a little ticked. I told you once, didn't you listen? Dangerous thing to do with these guys. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? (laughs) He turns it on them, doesn't he, right? He turns the table on them, right? Now it's his turn to go, da-da-da-da. Do you want to become his? That's why I want to watch this in heaven, right? Do you want to become his followers? He knew what he was doing. He knew that stung. He was getting kind of tired. How many times do you have to tell somebody, I was blind, but now I see? The guy's been saying it all day long. Verse uh, 28, then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Now the guy gets edgy. Says, why, that's very strange. The man replied, he healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, But he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. In other words, Jesus is doing his will. Verse 32, ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You are born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue and he was probably glad. Isn't that an awesome story? Now you need to finish reading it because it even gets better. But I want to stop right there and say, look. That's all this man had to do. He just got in the witness box and kept saying all day long. Every time they asked him, he would just simply say, I was blind. I met Jesus. He spit. He made some mud. He put on my eyes. He sent me to the pool. And now I can see. That's all that was required of him to say. And that's all that's required of you and me to say. That's all that's required. See, our lives should be such that people in our oikos see us living in contrast to the world. I was reading in my journal the other day uh, out of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 through 18. And at the end of verse 18, Paul says that the Holy Spirit lives in us. And what he's doing, if we'll allow him, is to make us more and more like Jesus. So more like Jesus comes out of our life and and less of us comes out of our life. So in other words, out of my life should be coming more and more of the unselfish love of Jesus. More and more of the mercy of Jesus. More and more of the peace of Jesus. More and more of the truth of Jesus. More and more of the strength and power of Jesus. More and more of the grace and patience and service of Jesus. And it should stand out in bold relief or contrast to the selfishness and darkness and depressiveness of this world. And our oikos should look at us and say, what is the difference? How come you're not upset by the financial crisis that our world is in right now? And we say to them, well, you know, normally I would be, but 
you know what? Ever since I met Jesus, he's given me the assurance that he's going to provide and take care of my needs. He always has, and I believe he's going to as well. Or when they see us with physical issues, people ought to say to us, you know, you got this physical stuff going on in your body. I mean, how come you're not like discouraged and scared? And we ought to be able to say, you know, sometimes it does get a little bit to me, but you know what? I'm focused on the future. It doesn't matter what happens to my body. I know that I'm going to be the Lord someday. I'm going to have a brand new body. Jesus has assured me of that. Or people should come to us and they say, man, you're going through some difficult relational issues, family issues, stuff crowding around your life. How come you're not upset and grumpy and anxious? Why do you seem to have so much peace? And we ought to be able to get in our witness box and say, you know, normally I would be an anxious person about this, but since I've encountered Christ, I just find that in the midst of all the chaos, if I could just focus on him, he gives me peace. That's what we should be able to do if that's what's going on in our lives. My fear, though, is that our lives are not that much different from everybody else's because we're living life in our own strength. We're not depending on The spirit of Jesus who indwells in us. And God says, if you'll yield and trust me, I'll I'll be Jehovah Jireh in your life. I'll provide for you. I'll work for you. I'll bless you. And that's what allows us to be such a clear witness. That's what allows us to just stand there. And when people come to us and say, I used to be blind, but now I see. And Jesus is the difference. We don't have to argue because people can't argue with what you've experienced in your life. How have you experienced Christ in your life lately? How have you experienced Jesus working in your life lately? And if you've been messing around and toying around with sin and living a compromised, complacent life, hey, it's time to stop. Have you noticed that the world is, is really in trouble right now? Hey, folks, you know what? I, I'm not a prophet, but I'm getting more and more convinced as I read the gospel that Jesus is coming, and, and I just think this world is getting ready to draw the curtains closed. And a whole, new, a, whole, a whole new future is awaiting for us. I mean, what's going on in North Korea? What's going on with Iran? With the G20? With the financial crisis? The talk of a global economy? And all the stuff that's going on. My goodness, you ought to be reading the, God, the book of Joel. You ought to be reading the end of Matthew, the end of Luke. You ought to be reading Ezekiel 38 and 39. Oh my goodness, the Bible is speaking, has spoken about these events that are starting to take place in our lifetime. And you and I ought to get really serious about God right now. And not be caught unaware, as Jesus mentions in the gospel. He says, He says, Shame on you if when the Son of Man returns, you're not waiting and ready. And as a church, we ought to be ready and we ought to be about God's business and God's purpose. Amen. We ought to be about being in the witness box and giving the answers of how Jesus has changed our lives. And then let the Holy Spirit take the words of our witness and let him convict and let him transform their lives. But we've got to be willing and ready to share the good news, the grace news, the God news, the the loving news of Jesus Christ with others. I know the world is down and discouraged. I know there's violence on every hand. We could be negative. We could leave here depressed. But I'm actually encouraged this morning because I see God working in the midst of all of it, giving our nation another opportunity for spiritual revival as men and women experience the living presence of Christ changing their lives. Amen? So I want you, I want you to just get the whole thing started this Easter by being willing to pass out a simple little flower 
as a means of invitation. If somebody asks you about God, don't give them my number. (laughs) Tell them your story. I was blind, but now I see. And when they want to ask you difficult questions, then yes, call the church. Talk to us on a Sunday, one of our elders, whatever, and we'll help you out. But all you have to do is get in that witness box because nobody can argue with a changed life. So let me ask you a question. Someday, if the Lord doesn't return before you die, and they bury you, and there's a, there's a marker there where your ashes are, where your body is, who's going to come up and look at that gravestone and say, because of you, because of me, I believe in God. Because of you, I have faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, such an opportunity that you're laying before us this coming weekend. And not just this coming weekend, Lord, but every day of our lives to be a witness for Christ, to simply tell the story. And some of us this morning are convicted, Lord, because we know that nobody's going to ask us because our lives really aren't that different. And what we need to do this morning is confess our complacency and the sin habit we've got. We ask you to forgive us now, Lord, please. Your Bible says, your word says, if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just. Forgive us our sins. Cleanse us small in righteousness. And today we determine to start living according to your word, according to your spirit. So that others will see the difference in us. And Lord, I pray that this coming Easter, you'll do such a powerful, powerful work throughout our community. Not just through this church, though we pray we would have a significant impact, but through all the churches who preach this coming weekend, the bold, yet clear, grace-filled gospel of Jesus Christ. In your precious name we pray. And all the people said... Now, before you go, I want us to thank uh, John Chisholm. Uh, next weekend is last weekend. He has been God's healing instrument here for us before Jeremy starts. So, John, come up here. We're going to pray with you. Would you thank John? So, John, we want you to know, we want you to know that God, God has, without a doubt, used you here. You have been such a blessing to us. We want to pray for you and send you as an ambassador to wherever God takes you next. Father, thank you for John. Thank you for the months of commuting and the months of working hard and the months of pulling things together and providing us, Lord, the ability to worship you through music. Thank you for his soul, Lord. Thank you for his spirit, for his sincere love for you and his desire to be used of you. And I pray, Lord, that you will prepare the path before him, that you'll anoint him and allow him, Lord, to continue to be an agent of healing and transformation in the places that you bring him to. We celebrate his time with us, Lord, and we're reminded as we come to Easter, Lord, that uh, it is a time, Father, to celebrate the resurrection power of Christ in all of our hearts and lives which we give you praise and thanks. And all God's people said, amen. amen. If you're a guest, we'll see you guest there. Get your lily. God bless you. Thanks.